This morning, we're continuing our series on resurrection power, how Jesus' miracles renew us. We'll be reading several miracle stories this morning, and I'm going to be focusing in the sermon more on the types of people that Jesus does miracles for in this text than on the miracles themselves. We'll be reading Matthew 8 from verse 1 to verse 17. Let's read. When he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, he was cured of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their place at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her, and she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Our first point for this morning is that Jesus heals the unclean. Jesus heals the unclean. Bill Bryson is a well-known travel writer, and several decades ago, he spent some time working in one of the mental health wards at a small-town hospital in England. And this particular mental health ward was a pretty low-key place. His first morning there, Bryson went to the bathroom, and when he came out, all the residents were gone. I mean, all of them, gone. And his supervisor called up and said, how are things going? And he said, well, okay, except that everyone's escaped. His supervisor said, what? Well, everyone's escaped. They haven't escaped. They always go out. They go to the village. They go do gardening work. They have some therapies. The way this mental health ward worked is that they just let all the residents go every day, and they'd wander around the nearby small town, and they'd do some work around the hospital, and then they'd just make sure they came back at the evening, in the evening and were safe. And that led to some interesting situations in the town. You'd see perfectly normal looking people wandering around, and then all of a sudden they'd start talking to a brick wall. Or you'd see people sitting down and ordering a bowl of soup, and then they'd very carefully put 12, 12 little chunks of sugar in their soup before eating it, no matter what kind of soup it was. And then, then they'd be fine. 
One particular day, Bryson had this experience that he was in, he was in the bookstore in the town looking at some books, and one of the residents of his ward came in and was looking at some books himself, and the cashier who was new to the town went up to this fellow called Arthur and said, hi, how can I help you? Can I help you find a book or anything? And Arthur was a very dignified, distinguished-looking man, but the reason that he was in a mental health facility and the reason he needed to be there was that he could not stand it when other people spoke to him. He could not stand it, especially if a stranger spoke to him. So this young lady came up and said, hello, how are you doing? And Arthur stared at her blankly for a second because it had literally been years since anyone had spoken to him in public. And then he erupted. How dare you speak to me? What are you thinking? This is completely, oh, what are you doing? And then he went on and on and on, calling this poor girl name after name after name and getting louder and louder and louder. And after about four sentences of this, Bryson shut the book he was looking at, turned around and said, Arthur, put that book down at once and leave. And Arthur was actually a pretty gentle soul and all you needed to do was speak to him firmly and he would comply. So he put the book down, quieted down, carefully walked out of the, walked out of the building and this poor shell-shocked girl and Bryson stare at each other for about 15 seconds. And then the door opens. Arthur peeks his head in and says, Can I still have my pudding tonight? And Bryson, at his regal best, says, I haven't decided yet. We'll see how you behave for the rest of the day. Now go home. And Arthur, Arthur leaves, and life just goes on. That was life in that particular small town. Regular folks, somewhat more unusual folks, just hanging out together. And sometimes you had a little bit of tension, but by and large, everything just kind of worked. But a few years after that, that particular building pretty much burned down. And so they had to move all the residents to another hospital. And they got to be a lot more restrictive. They had to always stay on the hospital grounds. And then as time went by, they didn't really like people wandering into waiting rooms and talking to the walls and doing other kind of out their thing, so they ended up with all these people who used to have the run of the town being confined to a locked ward. And a lot of them over time just shut down more and more. More and more they didn't have anywhere to belong. More and more they were pushed out, pushed to the edges, kept away from other people. Now I'm, I'm not a mental health expert and neither is Bryson. I don't know what the right answer is for that kind of situation. But there is something about us as people. There is something about us that wants to, to push people away, that wants to keep people at a distance, that wants to say, we don't need to engage with this. It can go over there. Now, at Jesus' time, people with leprosy were very, very clearly kept at an arm's length. Back then, leprosy made people completely unclean. Physically unclean because they looked kind of gross. Socially unclean because they weren't allowed to be around other people. And even religiously unclean because they weren't allowed to participate in the religious rites of Israel. And this wasn't just that people had come up with this on themselves. The Old Testament itself, God's law, had declared that people with leprosy were somehow unclean. And they had to stay outside of the community. They had to be kept out there. The life of this leper at the beginning of Matthew chapter 8 is a life of isolation on every level. He can't be near people. 
He's being offensive, actually, to come into these crowds and to come near Jesus. As he was walking toward Jesus, you would have seen the crowd saying, Whoa! Whoa! Get away from that guy. Don't let him touch you. He's contagious. He's going to make you unclean. Stay away. You can see the crowd just parting as he walks up. And then he comes to Jesus, and he asks Jesus to make him clean. And Jesus reaches out his hand and touches the man. Now let me play that for you again. Everyone else in the crowd is going, whoa, whoa, get away, get away, don't touch me. And Jesus reaches out to this man and he touches him. He touches this unclean man. This man who everyone else wanted to keep as far away as possible. And what's more, Jesus makes this man clean. Usually it would be the uncleanness that would be spread. But in this case, in this case, it's Jesus' holiness that is contagious. It's Jesus' holiness, his perfection, his purity that reaches out and makes this man right and makes this man clean. And it's not that Jesus does away with the categories of clean and unclean. He doesn't look at this man and look at everyone else and say, he's fine how it is. All of you get over it. No, Jesus takes this man who is unclean and Jesus transforms him. He moves him from this category of being unclean and broken and unacceptable and worthless and whatever other label you want to put on him. And Jesus moves him to a different category of being clean, of being accepted, of being valuable. Jesus changes this man's reality. And Jesus still does that. We experience uncleanness in different ways today, but Jesus still makes us right. For whatever comes for each of us after the sentence, I feel unclean because or I feel not right because, or I feel worthless because, because my grades aren't good, because I can't let go of my anger, because I was abused, because I had an abortion, because I was divorced, because I can't face the day without alcohol, because I've made a lot of unethical choices at work. Whatever comes for you after that beginning, I feel unclean because Jesus can reach out and make you clean. We all have all kinds of reasons that we feel unclean, unwanted, worthless, unwanted. But Jesus makes us clean. When we come to Jesus, he moves us from being unclean to being clean before him forever. Whatever's in your past or whatever is in your present, Jesus can make you clean. And in the second story that we read in Matthew 8, Jesus heals an outsider. My big fat Greek wedding was a big hit a few years ago, and it tells a common story. In this story, it's a big Greek family, but you can put any ethnicity in there that you want. And there's this girl who belongs to the family. She gets to be about 30. She's not married yet. And finally, she meets this wonderful, handsome, tall, just great guy. But he's not Greek. He's perfect, except that he's not Greek. 
And for Tula's family, for this girl's family, that's a problem. Tula's father especially has a lot of trouble with this. You know, he goes, well, is, this, is he a nice Greek boy? No, he's not, he's not Greek. He's, he's a Zeno. That's the Greek word for outsider. He's, he's a Zeno. He's not Greek. And when this guy, Ian, agrees to become Greek Orthodox and basically do anything and everything he can to become Greek, this father goes up to him on the day he's about to be baptized into the Greek Orthodox Church and says something like, So, you're going to become Greek, huh? And most of the movie is about this family just struggling to deal with this Zeno, with this outsider, with this guy who does not belong. And then finally, at the wedding, a couple of the aunts are talking, and one of them looks at Ian and says, Oh, look at his hair. Look at his clothes. He looks Greek. He looks Greek. And finally, he's okay because he's given up on who he is, and he's become one of them. Outsiders don't belong. It's a struggle to deal with them, and often people just don't want to. In Matthew 8, this centurion comes to Jesus and asks Jesus to heal his servant. And there are difficult dynamics here. This centurion is a powerful Roman official. He is literally part of the occupying army. He does not belong there. He is literally the enemy. A lot of the people at Jesus' time, a lot of the people in the crowd in this passage would not have even gone into this man's house. If you were a good person, a good Jewish person, you wouldn't go to this guy's house. You wouldn't eat a meal with him. You would always keep him on the outside because he did not belong here. But the soldier comes and he asks Jesus to heal his servant. And Jesus responds, I'll go and heal him. And already Jesus is being remarkably accommodating. Even being willing to go to this man's house is incredible. But the centurion backs off that, maybe because his faith is just so strong, maybe because he's aware of that hang-up about entering outsiders' houses. We don't know for sure. But you can see him in this text shaking his hands and backing off and saying, no, 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 no. No, I, I don't deserve to have you come to my house. I don't deserve that. Just say the word. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. I know you have the authority. This man is demonstrating tremendous faith and tremendous humility. He's amazing. And Jesus remarks on this outsider's faith. He says he hasn't seen anyone in Israel with this kind of faith. And he heals the man's servant. But in between that, Jesus Jesus raises the stakes incredibly high. In verse 11, he says, I tell you that many will come from the east and the west, from the outside, and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. And let's think on that for a minute. Jesus is talking about the feast of the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about the end times when God is going to make everything right. And Jesus has put Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob there. And if you were a Jewish person, those were the people you wanted to be like, and those were the people you wanted to be with. And to be with them in the kingdom of heaven was the greatest possible thing. And what Jesus has just done is he's taken outsider, like the centurion. He's taken all kinds of outsiders, and he's put them, 
He's put them in the kingdom of heaven at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These are people who the crowd around Jesus would never have eaten with. These outsiders, these people from the east and west are people whose houses the crowd wouldn't even go into. And yet Jesus heals this man's servant. And Jesus says, in the end, this man and people like him, they are going to be with the greatest at the greatest feast in the kingdom of heaven. These outsiders, these xenos, these, these other people, they're accepted at the same level as the greatest people in the history of faith. Now, can you imagine how that would feel as an insider, how shocking that would be? And can you imagine how that would feel as an outsider to be welcomed in like that? Do you ever feel like an outsider? Do you ever feel like you don't belong? Lots of us have families that are, well, maybe they're okay, but, but they just don't really give us the kind of safety and the kind of place to belong that we deeply need. Many of us have had friends, even really good friends, turn their backs on us. Many of us just can't find a place where we really belong and where we really feel safe. In different ways, many of us, many of us spend a lot of our lives on the outside looking in. But Jesus looks at those on the outside and he welcomes them all to come in. Again, whatever's in your past, whatever's in your present, Jesus welcomes you and he gives you a place to belong. When we're on the outside, Jesus brings us in. And third in this text for today, Jesus heals the less than. Jesus heals someone who is seen as less important, less significant, not, not really worth his time. When I was in elementary school, we'd often play soccer at recess, and we had this great tradition that is replicated, unfortunately, in elementary schools all over the world, that there'd be a couple captains, and then we'd line up, and the captains would go back and forth picking who they wanted to be on their team. And I don't know how it worked at your school, but at our school, the last two guys were always the fat guy with asthma and the little kid with glasses, right? No matter who, it was always the fat guy with asthma and the little guy with glasses. And at our school, actually, those were two of my best friends. The, the fat kid, Joshua, was the nicest guy I've ever met. I mean, you could probably kick him in the knees, and five minutes later, he'd help you carry your stuff. And Brian was a really, he was a small kid, sure, and he could be a little annoying sometimes, but he was the funniest guy in the whole class. They were wonderful to be around. But when recess time came, when soccer time came, they were always at the bottom of the ladder because they were too slow or too whatever. And no matter what they did, they were always picked last. They were always looked down on. They were always less than everybody else. At Jesus' time, in this story that we read for today about Peter's mother-in-law, at that time, women were always less than. By virtue of gender, they were always looked down on. They were always at the bottom of the ladder of status. And back then, honor and status 
mattered far more than we here, I think, can really grasp. Back then, it was really important that you had your spot. And you kept it in part by keeping people lower than you down. And you were always trying to get up by hobnobbing with people above you. Status mattered. And you had to keep your place secure. So the standard script for this situation would be that the great teacher would come and and he would ignore anyone who wasn't healthy or who wasn't perfect or who honestly wasn't male. And he'd go hang out with Peter and the other guys. But instead, in this passage, Jesus goes to this sick woman and he heals her. He makes her well. And what's maybe even more significant than that, what maybe would have been even more surprising is that he shows that he values her. This miracle shows us that the Lord values all people. He cares for everybody regardless of where they are on the status ladder. No one needs to run around trying to attract Jesus' attention. No one needs to be generating status and value for themselves so that Jesus will finally pay attention to them and so they won't be the last one picked this time. Jesus doesn't leave the lesser than hanging out at the end of the line. He goes and he cares for them. Even if we don't measure up. Even if we're one of those people who are always left to be picked last. Even if we have no status at all in this world, Jesus cares about us. And he comes to us and he brings us to him. I'm going to take about 30 seconds for a brief aside here. It's not right at the center of this text. But my fourth point for today is, do we welcome the unclean, the outsider, the less than? This text is really about what Jesus does, but I want us to ask ourselves this question. Do we care for the unclean? Do we welcome the outsider? Do we care for the less than? would take a whole other sermon to really deal with those questions, and it's not at the heart of this text, so I'm just going to drop those questions there. But maybe they're questions we need to wrestle with. But let's come back to the center of this text. Let's come back to Jesus' work. And our last point for today is the closing line of our reading. Jesus takes our infirmities and he carries our diseases. Jesus takes up our infirmities and he carries our diseases. We're all a bit like Arthur. We look normal. We might even look very distinguished and together. We're okay until something hits us the wrong way, and then we're not okay, and then we lose it, and then we go crazy, and then we do all kinds. All of us have some things in our lives that just don't quite All of us in some way are unclean. All of us in some way are on the outside. All of us in some way are less than. We don't like to talk about it, but deep down I think most of us know that we don't really belong in polite society. And we try to hide that. We try to bury it. We, we try not to deal with it. And often we're pretty good at that. I've heard that the suicide rates in affluent places are much, much higher than in low-income places. The suicide rates in the suburbs are a lot higher than in the slums, 
Because in the slums, everyone's business is just out there, and you got to deal with it. But here, we pretend we're okay, and we pretend we're okay, and we pretend we're okay, and it builds, and it builds, and it builds in us until we can't take it anymore. Because deep, deep down, deep, deep down, we all know that we're not okay. And deep, deep down, maybe we wonder if the people here this morning, if the people sitting around us knew, knew what we're really like, know how we, knew how we really lived, would they really accept us anymore? If people really knew us, would they still love us? Would they still even tolerate us? We can't make ourselves okay. And we're not okay. But that is okay because Jesus makes us okay. Jesus, Jesus doesn't just say we're okay how we are. He insists on changing us, on transforming us. And, and he doesn't always do that all right away. There are lots of brokenness and lots of challenges in our lives and lots of things that we just need to live with and wrestle with for our whole lives but Jesus still is at work to transform us. In this text, Jesus goes to three people who didn't belong, who weren't worth much. The leper is unclean. The centurion is an outsider. Peter's mother-in-law is a, is a woman, and so a second-class citizen in those days. In each instance, the action that we would expect is for Jesus to step back, for Jesus to indicate that those people are not worth his time. But instead, in each situation, Jesus steps forward and he welcomes these people in. Jesus cleanses the unclean. He welcomes the outsider in. He cares for the lesser than. Jesus takes up our infirmities and he carries our diseases. Each of these miracles that we see in this text are ultimately signs of the cross. Each of them are a sign of Jesus taking on our burdens and our brokenness and dealing with them forever. On the cross, Jesus became unclean so that we could be clean. On the cross, Jesus was rejected so that we would be accepted. On the cross, Jesus became lesser than the least so that he could claim all of us as his own. Jesus knows our challenges and our craziness he knows our darkness he knows our quirks and he still loves us in jesus we we find a place to belong if you're burdened if you're in need if you feel sick rejected worthless turn to jesus jesus has the power to renew us he gives us strength in our weakness he gives us grace in our need. Turn to Jesus and you will find everything that you need forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the encouragement that these stories can give us today. We're grateful that in Jesus' time on earth that he went to the unclean that he went to the outsider, that he went to the lesser than, and he cared for all of them. 
Father, help all of us to experience the reality and the power of Jesus' care for us. Father, if we've been holding you at an arm's length because we know we just aren't good enough, we pray that you help us to lay down our defenses and to accept your love and your grace. Father, we have so many struggles in our lives, so many hard things. And we pray that you come, that you come into our lives, that you give us the power that we need to face today and tomorrow. And Father, we pray too that Jesus would come again soon and do away with all of this and make us right. Father, feed us with what we need for today and renew our hope of the eternal feast with you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.